Welcome to the Commune Podcast. My name is Jeff Krasnow. Today on the show, I welcome Karina Balizi. Karina is an entrepreneur, a climate activist, and the host of the sustainability podcast, Care More, Be Better. She is also an executive at Orlo Nutrition, an algae-based omega-3 supplement company. Orlo's Iceland-based aquaculture plant house utilizes waste heat, 100% renewable energy, pristine water, and natural CO2 emissions to create the world's first carbon-negative production process. In our conversation, we discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly of fats. We probe the human and environmental consequences of interfering with nature and how we end up producing disease-inducing foods when we innovate for the sake of profit and convenience. We discuss how trans fats resemble plastic and how omega-3s lower inflammation and your likelihood of developing Alzheimer's or heart disease. Karina reveals the best fats to supplement during pregnancy, why Orlo omega-3 supplements are the ultimate move in sustainable nutrition, and how the spirulina that they grow has the potential to replace beef. Well, before we get into the interview, I want to let you know that if you want more information on how to use food to bring greater health into your life, well, then you will find integrative and functional medicine-based programs with doctors like Sarah Gottfried, Kara Fitzgerald, and Mark Hyman on topics such as gut health, longevity, immunity, hormone balancing, Ayurveda, and nutrition in Commune's course library. You can sign up for 14 days of free all-access including more than 100 courses on health, spirituality, personal growth, and social impact. Just go to onecommune.com trial. And please support this podcast by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcatcher. In fact, if you screenshot your review and send it to support at onecommune.com, we will gift you a month of Commune membership for free. Pretty cool. Lastly, if you prefer video, you can watch this episode and others on the Commune YouTube channel. Okay, without further delay, I present to you Karina Balizi. Okay, Karina Balizi, great to see you. Thanks for coming on the Commune Podcast. I'm so honored. I've listened to your show for a long time and been a member of the community, so that's great to be yeah, here. That's sweet. That's sweet. Yeah, I, um, I really enjoy your podcasts uh, as well, and uh, you're a pro, and like I was telling you um, before we got on, your voice is absolutely mellifluous and wonderful <laughs> to listen to, so everyone should uh, not, not only juice up with omega threes, but also juice up with your podcast. Care more. Yeah, of be course, better. we're our own worst critics, right? I sit there and listen to myself. Sometimes when I'm editing, I have done my own podcast editing before and I'm like, I, I think I'm done with this. I'll pass it on. Yeah, I, I did that in the early days. And um, if I had continued to do it, there would be no commune podcast <laughs> for sure. I, I can't listen to myself. So um, anyways, you know, it, it was funny in, in getting to know a little bit about your life um, like my wife, Skylar, you grew up, um, on a commune and, um, 
Uh, I'm not exactly sure where that was in the world. My wife grew up in Sebastopol, so in Sonoma County in Northern California. And and I knew that I, I liked you for a whole bunch of different reasons already. But the story where you had to usher a, a goat into the kitchen uh, to get your morning <laughs> milk, um, I was like, I'm really going to resonate uh, with this woman because <laughs> it's so reminiscent of Skylar's upbringing. So, um, yeah. yeah, that was in Ashland, Oregon. And anybody who's visited there would, especially during the 70s, would understand that it was kind of almost Santa Cruz North. And so it's no mystery to me that I ended up relocating when I moved to California to Santa Cruz area because it felt like home. You know, there's Mm. that certain current underneath where it feels like people are just, they're working to be in tune with nature. And um, while it's not the case for everyone, of course, we're also right next to Silicon Valley and a lot of go-getters who just want to make a million dollars as quickly as possible. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> we we get that feel too, you know, yeah. close to earth, close to the ocean, um, being connected to nature, to food, and at least striving for that. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I, I took my daughter Phoebe on a college tour in a uh, sleeper van a couple of years ago. <laughs> um, it was really an amazing experience, more fantastic in retrospect, of course. Um, and uh, we, um, we came to Santa Cruz and... I basically said, I will do anything if you go to school here <laughs> because it is so spectacular. And, and I completely resonate with, you know, gravitating back to places um, th- that feel like home. And, you know, we're we have our little kooky compound in um, in Topanga called Commune. Um, and it is so reminiscent of where Skyler grew up and, you know, like your proximity to Silicon Valley you know, we have this proximity to Los Angeles, but you get up into Topanga and it feels like you're in Tuscany, basically, or, you know, mm-hmm. a thousand miles away from a metropolitan center. And it's pretty funky around the edges, too. So yeah, isn't that um, where the Red Door Spa is, too, I believe? I don't know. I'll have to check that out. If it, Maybe if, I'm just remembering it as having that name because it had a giant red door. Um, I'll have to look. Yeah. Good. Well, let's start. um at a, at a high altitude here for for the sake of just painting a kind of broad picture for um, our listeners. So humans require food. Um, mm-hmm. We require macronutrients, so proteins or uh, the amino acid building blocks that then go to make up all of these different molecules from obviously muscle structure, but way beyond that from to enzymes and hormones and neurotransmitters and uh, transport molecules, et cetera. Um, we require carbohydrates, uh, glucose for energy, though we can make some energy some with some other sources, but also fiber for our gut. But we also require fats. And um, fats is almost like a, a misnomer in some ways where the nomenclature got screwed up because for the 70s when I grew up, like the idea of like, well, why would I ever eat fat? Because I don't want to be fat, you know? And like, um, and, uh, you know, that was really an unfortunate misunderstanding around the nature of fat. So, um, I'd love to explore fats in particular with you today. And we'll, I'm sure we'll, we'll digress and diverge on many different roads, but there are good fats and there are bad fats. And then there are fats that are kind of nuanced that are important, but only in the right amounts and proportions 
to other fats. So maybe we'll start maybe with a patently bad fats and work our way up into the into the light so yeah what are the fats that we really want to avoid well it's no mystery to me and i'm sure to much of your audience that when we start to monkey too much with nature we create things that can be pretty darn bad for us i mean think about all the chemicals that have entered our food supply some of which have been on purpose right Mm. um and so the first evil fat is a trans fat And essentially, this is a fat that is no longer in its natural state. It's essentially one carbon molecule away from being plastic. And so when you think about that, and you think about the fact that we're all working to try and limit our consumption of plastics, even understanding that we might consume a credit card's worth of plastic a week if we're not eating a super clean diet, then we're creating a state in our bodies where our cells are less able to integrate the actual nutrition that we're putting into our body. Hmm. And as I've heard you say, and as many other experts say, um, you know, it's not just you are what you eat, it's what you absorb. So you've absorbed something that's terrible for you, a trans fat. It can essentially inhibit the function of your natural enzymes that would otherwise be able to turn the omega-3s and omega-6s, which are the better fats in your system, and integrate them into the things that you need. Actually take the glycerol backbone and use it for brain fuel. I mean, hmm. we could get hyper-technical there, but it basically gums up your system because it's like consuming plastic. Hmm. And so a simple test I would put out there for people. The reason that we have trans fats in our diets is simple. We were working to make more shelf-stable foods, right? They um, essentially engineered in the 50s shortening, which was created by bubbling hydrogen molecules while exposing the oil to an intense heat and one of the same chemical compounds you find in Drano all at the same time to essentially turn that liquid fat into one that's solid at room temperature. And with this solid at room temperature fat, they could create things like margarine, shortening, something that isn't coming from an animal. So instead of using lard, you'd use this. And the thought was it would be more healthy because it's not lard, right? But the reality was exactly the opposite. And so just for the label readers out there, you might see zero grams trans fats on one of your processed foods and the nutrition facts label. But then when you look in the ingredients, you'll see partially hydrogenated or fully hydrogenated soybean oil or palm kernel oil which I also recommend people avoid for other reasons, but um, you'll see all of these things there that indicate a trans fat. So anything that says partially or fully hydrogenated soybean or whatever oil, that is a trans fat. Hmm. And just by not including very much of it, they're able to get away with saying zero grams of trans fats on the labels. So patently, this is something we should avoid at all costs. Just don't eat it. Yeah. Wow. That was a fantastic explanation. So where do we find you uh, trans fats? You know, you mentioned margarine, for example. What are some of the other foods that we need to have our, our radar out for as it pertains to trans fats? You know, I would just say anything that is fried, anything mm. that is breaded. Um, so, you know, this is... <laughs> Our kind beloved onion of- rings, our <laughs> beloved french fries, our, our fried chicken, all of that, huh? Well, here's the dirty truth when it comes to those fried foods. And, you know, this will get back to my teenage years. I worked for a summer at McDonald's and I'll never, ever want to work in fast foods again. But they only changed the oil out in that fryer 
once a week. Right. And so when you think about that in the restaurant business, if the fryer oil is staying there for a long time, multiple days, the fats that are used to make that food actually become damaged. And because they've been exposed to heat and cool, heat and cool, heat and cool so many times, some of that will actually naturally become trans fats. And so you are consuming them in that case, even if it says just fried in pure vegetable oil, 100% pure vegetable oil. How damaged is that oil? How rancid is that oil? What kind of havoc can it wreak on your system? People will sometimes get food poisoning, not from the chicken they ate out, but because they had French fries with it and the oil had actually gone rancid. And so this is something we need to look out for. You want fresh food, you want to eat foods that aren't fried. And then ultimately, if you're looking at packaging, I would say your crackers, your chips, um, you know, your your bars, like really look at them. If they have a partially yeah. hydrogenated oil in them, just walk away. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of camouflage going on. I mean, you wouldn't necessarily associate trans fats with bagels or, <sighs> or bread. Um, you, would, you would associate them with hydrogenated oils, et cetera, and French fries. I think that's generally understood, even if people continue to eat them. But um, but there's a lot of sheep in, in wolves or wolves in sheep's clothing, I guess I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, so you would definitely avoid some of those seed oils as it per- specifically as it pertains to cooking, right? So like canola yeah. or so- soybean oil or even palm maybe. Well, just generally speaking, we're, you know, this is getting into this next part of the conversation I think we have to have, which is about what's an essential fat and what's a non-essential fat. Because as you mentioned, as we got started, you know, you need proteins, you do need some carbohydrates. These are macronutrients. We also need fats. And the only fats that we really need to ingest from the outside that are required for our bodies to function are the essential fatty acids, omega-3s and omega-6s, because our bodies cannot make them. And so these fats are involved in hormones in our body, as well as in the um, synaptic firing of our dendrites and our brains so that we can think clearly. I mean, really, they're involved in our cellular membranes. They're involved in elimination of toxins from our cells and from our systems, as well as transmission of nutrients. So they're an absolute fundamental nutrient that our bodies need. But all of the seed oils that you might buy or consume, they let's say the soybean oil, the canola oil, the corn oil, um, all of these oils are very, very high in omega-6s. Mm-hmm. And in fact, because omega-6s are more shelf-stable than omega-3s, they've been refined to remove naturally occurring omega-3 fatty acids that would have been present in them. And so what this does is essentially throw the fat out of balance you overconsume omega 6s because they're abundant in a standard diet. All of the salad dressings that you find, they're going to have, even if they say olive oil or avocado oil on the label, they will have mostly canola oil or soybean oil as the ingredient before that. Right. And there'll be a dusting of the more healthy omega 9s that come from, uh, saf- not sapphire, I'm sorry, um, omega, the olive oil or the um, avocado like oil. Avocado, yeah. Yeah. Omega-9s, they aren't a part of the essential class, but they're helpful fats. They do good things in the body. They they aren't considered an inflammatory or an anti-inflammatory fat. 
Hmm. Yeah, that was one of my questions. So omega-9s are kind of, they don't receive nearly as much fanfare as omega-3s and mm omega-6s. So we can endogenously produce omega-9s and they're somewhat neutral. Is is that a fair understanding? They're neutral. They don't create the pro-inflammatory or anti-inflammatory prostaglandins, leukotrienes, or cytokines. So essentially, Mm -hmm. these are the systems we have within our bodies to control how we respond to inflammatory events, right? So if you stub your toe, you want to send pain signals there, you want to heal the damaged tissue, right? That's an inflammation response. You actually can have a healthy level of inflammation. But after that inflammatory event, you need to be able to return to what is homeostasis or balance. And that doesn't occur if you overconsume consume omega-6s and you don't get omega- enough omega-3s. Omega-9s don't really do anything in that world. They give you healthy fat that can promote healthy skin. They can promote healthy hormones. They can promote all sorts of healthy things within the diet. And they're a good replacement for other fats that might be more problematic, especially if you're making salad dressings is a simple thing. Like, you know, you can use avocado oil or you can use olive oil in your own home and make something that's delicious to pepper on to your salads. Yeah, but you would not recommend cooking with those oils because of the flashpoint? Is that true? Yeah. I mean, generally speaking, flashpoint with these oils can be a little problematic. So I go to a coconut oil instead mm-hmm. because it can do um, it can deal with a higher temperature without damaging it. Or I often shift to poaching or steaming because a lot of the times we don't necessarily need a lot yeah. of oil in order to cook. And I think we just have this perception that, oh, well, this is part of cooking. I'm going to throw a bunch of oil in the pan. Well, it can add superfluous calories for one. It can damage the oil for two. And it's not necessary in many cases. You can actually get more of the phytocompounds out of the food through a quick steaming. In some cases, you're leaving less in the pan, and then you're ultimately getting all the nutrition from that food. Yeah. Yeah. We... we cook with coconut oil. I mean, I'm an MCT proponent generally because yeah. uh, I, I, I have an intermittent fasting protocol and I have a generally like a low glycemic diet. So medium chain triglycerides, which are, I would say are neutral fat more or less, but uh, you know, the liver can process them into ketones when you're in a low glycemic or low carbohydrate Right. And I put MCT oil in my coffee. I like that. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Hello, right here. So, you know, again, we're kind of pulling all these different fats apart and, you know, trying to get some insight into them in general. You know, then there's also a lot of debate around just saturated fat in general, which is, you know, obviously found in meat and and dairy. Um, What is your general feeling about the consumption of of saturated fats? And maybe you could just explain what, what is a saturated fat just for a moment. Well, a saturated fat is one that is, just for the lay public, it's solid at room temperature. Um, It is mostly present in animal fats, but it's also present in other oils as well. So, you know, generally speaking, it's relatively easy to remove from those oils just by cooling it down. So you'd skim it off the top, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Saturated fats are a great nutrition source because they have a high calorie point. Um, But most of the dietitians that I've talked to over the years say, 
you know, saturated fats are not the problem. They don't actually create a lot of these negative health problems. What creates a lot of these negative health problems is that we're underactive and we eat too much. And mm -hmm. so if you have an overall balanced diet, that they're less to worry about. You just do need to understand that they're non-essential and your body can make saturated fats. So if you're yeah. working to get to the basics, nourish your body, give yourself what it needs, then what you want to do ultimately is reduce your level of seed oils because you're probably consuming too much. They're present in all nuts and seeds as well. Increase your levels of omega-3s because then you can achieve more of that hunter-gatherer one-to-one ratio that is documented to produce better health outcomes, lower inflammation. Lower inflammation leads to things like better general health, less likelihood of developing Alzheimer's or heart disease or other problems later in life, um, especially for those who might be genetically predisposed to those conditions. So if we get our, our diets in check, balance our fats, and thankfully we can take a simple test to check where we are on that spectrum, yeah. then we can get into a space where we are, we have optimized health. We're going to feel better when we have an inflammatory event. It will quash itself and return to more of a normal state more quickly. And ultimately we'll feel better. We'll think more clearly and we'll be positioned to live a long and healthy life and have the best health span possible. Yeah. So important. And, uh, yeah, I, I do regular blood panels. Um, and I'm, so I'm looking at lipid panels, et cetera, around HDL, LDL, um, triglycerides. And then you can also test for omega, omega three mm -hmm. prevalence. So I, I think that this is important for people that can, uh, that are interested and yeah, there are services out there. Uh, I, I work with this company called Inside Tracker, so they actually even send a phlebotomist to my house to do it, which is kind of nice, so I can just collapse on the couch. <laughs> That's probably why um, they, they are among the more expensive options, yeah. but they do the most in-depth, from yeah, what I understand. Yeah, totally. I think they're up to maybe 40, well, they were like 43 biomarkers, and I think they're now even more than that. But, you know, you really, if you educate yourself about this, you can work with your primary care physician to get the panels that you want. You just need to be educated and, and sometimes they'll resist, you mm -hmm. know, but you just say, no, like, listen, I have a concern and I, you know, it's important that I have the right level of omega threes and I don't, I want my HDL at this level and I want my LDL low and I want my triglyceride HDL ratio to be here, you know? So this is like, this is the amazing, um, piece of being alive right now is that, that, that a lot of this information is getting democratized and people yeah, can is. take a lot more, um, you know, agency over their own health. So just to kind of put a, a, a bow on the saturated fat thing, I, my wife was asking me about this. She's like, what is a saturated fat from a geeky perspective? So I kind of was like looking it up and it's, I guess saturated because it's saturated with hydrogen essentially. Where it doesn't have uh, as many double bonds, it has a sense or no double bonds. I think it's all single bonded, so there's no more. It can't interact with any more hydrogen. Um, yeah, it's very stable. I mean, this is yeah, why people exactly. want to use it for cooking. Um, essentially, that's what scientists were trying to do when they created hydrogenated oils. Right. They thought we're going to make <laughs> something that looks like a saturated fat to replace lard. Right. Right. So we're going to fully hydrogenate it, so it'll be solid at room temperature. And then it can be shelf stable. It can sit in your cupboard. It's going to be that much more superior to that natural food, that saturated fat. 
Um, I personally am not full vegan. I still consume some dairy, though I'm sensitive to milk. So I like to use butter when I am doing things like frying an egg or um, cooking something that's more savory that perhaps a coconut flavor won't lend itself well to. And I'm not afraid of that because it's not like I'm using a lot of it. Um, I don't consume a ton of saturated fats. Um, But again, if you talk to exercise physiologists and registered dietitians, they'll generally say it's more about activity level. And yes, you can limit saturated fats, but just make sure that you're getting enough healthy fats in your diet. Yeah, I think we'd go on vacation well together because uh, we have the same proclivities around cooking. (laughs) I don't like to use, you know, I use coconut oil, but I wouldn't fry an egg with it. And I'm not fundamentalist about all of it, you know. I, you know, I think the overconsumption of saturated fat, at least in a lot of the clinical data I, I look at, and, and again, this is overconsumption, can lead to non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and insulin resistance and diabetes, et cetera. But, you know, again, it's like if you're going to eat, and there's a whole bunch of other reasons, you know, not to eat like industrial meat, for example, but if you're going to eat, you know, grass-fed, grass-finished, you know, meat once in a while. I mean, that's kind of what I do. Um, And I also completely respect, you know, the, um, you know, people's moral stances around, around animal welfare. Um, Yeah. But, you know, I just really think that's an overconsumption issue. I mean, from what I've read, there's not even enough grasslands in the world for us to maintain the level of meat consumption, even if it was all regeneratively produced. So it's just, we're over consuming it. Um, and, uh, um, and I think, you know, if you look back through history, especially in some of the cultures, you know, that have become sort of the blue zones, et cetera, you know, meat was used as a, as a flavoring device, you know, it wasn't the central huge, you know, 16 ounce ribeye in the middle of your state. It was like, I mean, it just cracks me up because I can't eat that much protein in one sitting. (laughs) And our bodies are only really primed to consume and absorb about 30 grams of protein at a time. And so all of that excess just Mm. turns into fat and sugars in our systems. So, you know, that's why it's not a healthy way to eat. Um, It's, it's just really quite simple when you boil it down to that. Yeah. Okay, so you touched on the notion of essential fats, and and I think this is really important to you know to break down some of the definitions because there's so many acronyms out there that it can become really confusing for a lot of people. So there's this idea of essential fatty acids or EFAs, and mm-hmm. like you clarified, these are fatty acids or fats that we do not make endogenously. So we have to consume them exogenously through diet. And, That's right. Um, and two of these fatty acids are omega-3s and omega-6s. So can you spend a little time breaking down sort of the difference between omega-3s, where we find them, what are their properties, and omega-6s, where we find them, and what are those properties? And what is the proper relationship or ratio between these two fatty acids? Okay, we're going to nerd out a little bit Good. because yeah. um, generally speaking, <laughs> well, yeah. you know, you already introduced what is the saturated fat, right? So okay. an omega-3 fatty acid, quite simply, is a, a fatty acid where the double bond begins on the third carbon. 
And omega-6 has a double bond begin on the sixth carbon. So there's really very little difference between them when you think about them in this way. Some of them are a little bit longer in their chain. Like for instance, the omega-3 fatty acid DHA is 22 carbons long and the omega-3 fatty acid EPA is 20 carbons long. EPA stands for eicosapentaenoic acid. DHA stands for docosahexaenoic acid. Most of the research done on fish oils has focused on EPA and DHA, these two primary constituents. The EPA and the DHA that are in the fish, they're getting from the algae they consume. Hmm. And so that's the originator of essentially all of the EPA and DHA that we consume today is algae. It's the world's first plant, world's first everything, world's first life, really. Now, when you look at the omega-6 side of the spectrum, omega-6s, that double bond begins on the second, car- second carbon of the sixth. The double bond begins on the sixth carbon, <laughs> right? I'm <laughs> just <Yeah>. jumbling <laughs> up how I say this. Okay. Now, that specific omega-6 that is most talked about is arachidonic acid. Well, arachidonic acid is inflammatory in your system. Where on the other side, the EPA and the DHA, they're anti-inflammatory. So that's where these two classes kind of break down. Hmm. Now, common sources for omega-3s are on the plant source side. It's going to be your walnuts. It's going to be your chia seeds. You know, some level of omega-3s exist in your grass-fed, grass-finished beef products, or in omega-3 eggs, which have been flax. They've been fed flax. The chickens have been fed fed that flax, right? But the plant sources that are terrestrial-based, the flax, the chia, the walnuts, they all are in the form of alpha-linolenic acid. Alpha-linolenic acid is a precursor to EPA and DHA, the omega-3s that are most researched and that have the most backing. Now, the reason that consuming them from these plant sources doesn't necessarily get you the same benefit as consuming a direct source of EPA and DHA is simple because it can, it basically is like a 16 to one ratio. It's, it takes your body about 16 times the omega-3 source in order to make that EPA or DHA level from it. So it's just not very efficient. And you require all sorts of enzymes and desaturases in order to break it down. Those can be impeded if you don't have the right nutrient balance, if you don't have enough vitamin B in your system, enough vitamin C. Um, If you had consumed a single gram of trans fats, the, the evil predictors that we spoke of earlier. And so taking a plant source form of those omega-3s becomes problematic if you're really looking to get the health benefits of getting enough omega-3. Let me ask you that again so I make sure that I understand. So if you were to consume um, chia or hemp or hemp seeds or walnuts, for example, or maybe yeah. even edamame. I forgot the, hemp. That was a good one. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so the, this has a form of omega-3 known as ALA, right? And ALA. so mm-hmm. when you and your body can convert that into the more useful forms of omega-3, EPA and DHA, but it doesn't convert it very efficiently. Is that? That's exactly right. Okay. You need to consume 16 times what you would from other sources. 
Yeah. I mean, I got it. I, I absolutely love walnuts, particularly sprouted walnuts. Um, actually have some with me. There we go. I always <laughs> keep my, my, my children tease me because I have like little farmers. Well, I grew up with in. a walnut tree in the yard and so we would harvest them every <laughs> oh, fall. Beautiful. And so, yeah, they're, I mean, I, I like them fresh from the tree, not roasted, you know, a little green. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I got into a big debate around walnuts and phytic acid last week. So <laughs> that'll be for another episode. Um, but basically, the, the moral of the story here is that the consumption of hemp or chia or flax or walnuts, while admirable and, and profitable health promoting. for health, yeah, yeah. And, and have other kinds of phytonutrients and certainly like magnesium for walnuts, for example, um, but they're not efficiently converted into the useful forms of omega-3. So we got to really find them somewhere else. I think you, you, you touched on like, yeah, grass-fed beef. I mean, I think I've heard you talk about, yeah, if we actually went and, and hunted game like deer or, or bison, um, we could probably avail ourselves of some, MP, of, uh, some omega-3 um, just because they're consuming grasses that would have the source essentially in the same way that fish consume algae. But right. that's just not the way. I mean, how many times are you going to go eat a hunted bison burger <laughs> at this juncture? Probably I mean, I go never. to a friend's harvest yeah. party every year and everything yeah. that they serve is hunted or harvested. So, you yeah. know, in cases like that, yes, you're getting a much more nutritious meal. Yeah. But even in that meat, you're getting a balance of omega-6 to omega-3. Because you're probably getting more omega-6 than omega-3, but you're just not getting so little omega-3 that you're not getting any, right? And so, and it's not like you can take a litmus paper and just stick it to the steak and go, okay, it's got, you know, 50 milligrams of EPA in it. Or There's no cool. real way to do that. That would be cool if there was sort of the, the equivalent of a continuous glucose monitor or something that you could just stick in everything and open <laughs> up an app. Eventually. We'll get there, right? Yeah, like that's right. going to be in the next 50 years. We'll get to the point where we can do that. I'm sure of it. But as it stands right now, we don't have that. And so you need to think about what really contains almost only omega-3 and no omega-6 in order to get the balance in check. And so that's the key. So on the omega-6 side, and this will make it much more clear for people because the foods that I'll mention are abundant and they're available to us, right? Mm -hmm. So all of the salad dressings, which which we mentioned earlier, they're full of omega-6s, canola, soy, um, you know, corn oil, all of these yeah. are very, Mayonnaise. very high in omega-6. Omega-6, I mean, I have even seen the ones on the shelf that say olive oil and avocado oil, and you turn it over and you look, and the first ingredient is usually canola oil. So those are less expensive oils to make products with. I encourage mm-hmm. everybody, if you're going to consume mayo, just make it at home. It is so easy, and as long as there's not a thunderstorm afoot, it will set. You will get the mayo that you want. So if there's electricity in the air, it won't set and you end up with this soupy thing that isn't really like mayonnaise. Mm, that's, a geeky, rate, that's a geeky episode I want to do sometime right there. <laughs> <laughs> the relationship between lightning and mayonnaise. I um, really don't understand that one, frankly, but you yeah. know, it's something I noticed because it happened to me once. I was like, oh, well, why, did, why isn't my mayo setting? And then I did the, look it up and it's like, oh, it's a thunderstorm. That's what's okay. going on here. Okay. So um, the omega-6s on the other side, um, you see that the 
omega-6s that are being provided from the plant sources are linolenic acid, which sounds a lot mm-hmm. like alpha-linoleic acid, right? right. L- linolenic acid is a precursor to alpha uh, arachidonic acid, which is that hyper-pro-inflammatory omega-6, right? right? And so if you're consuming all those seed oils, and then if you couple that with some fried food and you're having a burger here and there, I mean, you are getting a truckload of omega-6. And even when you do something like take those frozen chicken nuggets and you're making them for your kids or something, those have a lot of inborn seed oils. And this is another topic that is touchy for me because I have converted almost exclusively to oat milk in my household. I have a son who is um, allergic to milk. And so we just you know, converted a long time ago. Most of those milks have oils in them that are coming from those omega-6 seeds. So people think they're doing something healthy for themselves by limiting their dairy consumption and getting all these saturated fats from the milk, and they're loading themselves with seed oils. Not only to mention that, if you've converted to oat milk, most of the oat milk out there is non-GMO but not organic, so you're getting a ton of glyphosate, and we could have a whole different conversation about that, but it's not good for you. So I would advise you to try and learn to make it at home. You'll save money, you'll be able to control what inputs you put in, and you'll be able to control what fat, if any, that you add. Yeah, and it's really gratifying, very easy, and you can have fun with it. You can add little vanilla extract, and you know you just really need like a cheesecloth or you can do it in a blender you can look it up but it's uh um yeah when you you know when you look at the labels on many of these oat milks that are often um you know stocked and marketed around healthfulness um you know again um you know you just need to be rigorous about yeah. <clears throat> what you're really consuming because it's just that the omega-6s yeah. they're so out there they they sneak into everything so yeah you know, the ideal ratio is really closer to a three to one or even a one to one. And Mm. getting there is very challenging to do without consuming fish two to three times a week. And I mean, replacing other meats, of course, with that when you do and eating fish that are in the smash variety, which you may have spoken about with Dr. Mark Hyman, because he speaks specifically of sardines, mackerel, anchovies, um, salmon, and herring. herring. Yes, yeah. those are the last two. I, I kind <laughs> I of always, tripped up on those. <laughs> I know. I, I always get sma and then the shh part. I, yeah. I start salmon to, and herring. Yeah, salmon and herring. Yeah. Um, but then you have to also make sure it's not farmed, right? right? Because the farmed fish tends to be not as healthy. It doesn't have the same um, nutrient profiles. They often add colorant to the salmon after the fact. And most of the salmon we consume now is farmed and it's actually labeled as Atlantic to make you think it's wild, but it's not. It's just a species or it might even be called Mm. Norwegian salmon, but it's not wild. So, yeah. And then, you know, we get into the kind of heavy metal concentration in a lot of fish. So heavy metal, plastic consumption, overfishing, global environmental degradation of ecosystems i mean yeah it gets- i mean you can get the fish that's lower on the food chain right so there's not going to be as much heavy metal concentration mm-hmm. or you can get like line caught you know fish that, that they're just smaller so there's like less time to accumulate the metals um and obviously you know we're you know i don't even have a sense for how prevalent mercury poisoning is at this juncture but i have seen some of the the symptoms that present around it and it is not fun i mean there's no. you know it's like seizure seizures and um obviously kind of some of the more lesser f- forms like brain fog and things but it's 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 not good in fact mark i know suffered from 
um, mercury poisoning earlier. Yeah, and getting getting it out of your system is incredibly hard. I mean, I yeah. as a young child, I had I, I I liked sugary things, and I didn't brush my teeth as well as I should have, and maybe I had weak enamel, so I had a lot of mercury fillings in my mouth. And mm. I've gone through the process of having them removed and replaced, and and all of that, um, which took quite a while. But you learned that half of the mercury that was in the tooth itself dissipates into your body within the first five years. Mm. And so if you've had a lot of dental work and if you're of a certain age, like I'm in my mid forties and this was common that if you had them in the back, they wouldn't bother with the composites. They'd go with the amalgam Mm. and um, you can have mercury inborn into your system that way. It really does matter the type of fish you're eating. If you're eating sardines, it's going to have far less, but if you're eating tuna, if you're eating swordfish, if you're eating even salmon, you're getting more mercury because they are carnivorous fish. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're eating fish that are low, low on the food chain, they're consuming algae, they're bioaccumulating that. Um, it's a healthy protein, healthy levels of omega-3s, but there's still question about overfishing and, and what is a healthy tonnage and is there really a sustainable way to continue commercial fishing operations. And I mean, right. that's a huge topic in and of itself. Right. So. so you mentioned that the optimal ratio between omega-3s, um, sorry, omega-6s and omega-3s is anywhere from three to one or even one to one. Mm-hmm. What is the estimate for, for what that ratio is among most Americans right now? Okay, so... Um, this is of course skewed by whoever they're able to test, right? Mm. But generally speaking, somewhere between sixteen to one and twenty to one. Ah, God. so I mean, we have a long way to go. What does this mean for your health? Yeah, and if we can make it real that way, it means a few things that I think are critical for people to consider. One of which is when we consume more seed oils, we actually get more hungry. And when we consume less omega-3s, we're not as satiated. I mean, these are directly related to overconsumption, and there's been quite a bit of research along those lines. Um, So really what we need to do is balance these things so that we we can feel satisfied, so that our body gets what it needs. And to understand, too, that if you don't consume any omega-3s, because there are people who literally don't consume really any, like they hate fish. They aren't consuming walnuts like you are. They had, haven't touched chia seed or flaxseed in their diets. And they're just eating, you know, the burgers and the French fries and the hoes and the Krispy Kremes and all that junk that is not, not good for them, right? They, their bodies will borrow omega-6s to do the things that omega-3s would typically do in your system. Hmm. And yeah. this can create more inflammatory problems. And it can create um, insane weight gain. It can create thyroid issues. It can create hormonal imbalances. It can mean that you have things like arthritis erupted at a very young age, atherosclerosis or hardening of the arteries. And all of these things compound to degrade your health so that people as young as their 20s start to experience very debilitating health concerns that doctors weren't used to seeing in individuals until they were in their 40s or 60s. And so it's just, we we need to set the base up to give ourselves the best chance of success 
And it's not rocket science. It's not incredibly difficult. We just need to consider the the inputs, reduce our consumption of the things that are terrible for us, and then give ourselves a bounty of the things that are good for us. We can actually consume a much greater bulk, be more satisfied, not feel these hunger pangs that are out of control um, if we get the balance right. And it's, um, you know... You can take a simple blood spot test, even if your insurance doesn't cover it for $50. It's not mm. going to break the bank to find out what your baseline is and to make some adjustments. Yeah. And your body, when you treat it well, it will really reward itself. You know, so I was listening to this fascinating um, talk by Andrew Huberman, a neuroscientist, but mm. he talks a lot about these neurons or neuropods that are actually in your gut and they will sense certain kinds of inputs and send a signal up your vagus nerve and into your brain that will release dopamine that will essentially encourage you to want more of whatever that is. Exactly. And so, you know, if you're consuming and and this applies to omega-3s too. So, you know, if you're consuming healthy omega-3s, your body will say, yes, you know, more of those, please. But the flip side of that, of course, is if you're over consuming sugar or, you know, you know, whatever, there's a laundry list of things that you don't want to put in your body. Um, you know, your dopamine reward system will also trigger around some of those as well. So the good news is, is like the, the moment that we start treating ourselves well, there is a, uh, a cyclical reward system to push us into greater and greater health. And so we That's just correct. need to get on that track. You know, DHA, for example, which that was kind of the the omega-3 that I first became aware of. Yes. Um, I think really when Skylar was pregnant. Um, so it's, it, I think that's when most people become aware of it, really, because it, it has a lot to do with um, in utero fetal development and then also early development, childhood development and, and breastfeeding and stuff. So there's a, there's there's definitely like you know, your eyes begin to open. You're like, okay, um, maybe I should supplement with an omega-3 if I'm thinking about getting pregnant or I am pregnant or I have a young baby that I'm breastfeeding. Would you, um, would you recommend supplementing with, with omega-3 at, at that juncture around pregnancy? Well, first I would recommend supplementing with a DHA product probably as early as you can get your child to even do that because their brains are still developing. I mean, you're speaking to a bit of an evangelist here, but let me explain why it's so critical. Half of the brain and eyes are made up specifically of DHA. So half of the fat in the brain and eyes is made up of DHA, Mm. right? And half of their weight is essentially fat. So about a quarter of the brain itself is comprised of DHA. So without enough of this key nutrient, you're you're not setting yourself up for success. I learned something else recently as I interviewed um, a doctor in the omega-3 space, um, a researcher, a PhD. Her name is Melanie Plourd, and she's out of Université de Sherbrooke in Quebec, Canada. And I'd met her years ago at an, an ISFAL, an International Society for the Study of Fatty Acids and Lipids show. I mean, these are super geeky conferences, right? There is a connection between certain genome types 
and mm. how well they integrate the omega-3 DHA into the brain. Mm. And if that individual who has, let's say, APOE4, and let's say they have two representations, which are most right. associated with things like Alzheimer's and, and some other health challenges that are associated with the brain later in life, um, well, those individuals happen to be what it looks like less capable of integrating DHA into the brain and eyes. And so mm -hmm. getting more of it becomes hypercritical. And while you are what you absorb is kind of this underlying current, you know, ensuring that you're getting enough of that DHA in its direct form and with hope in its most bioavailable form, then you're going to receive the benefit of that. Now, if we think about the health concerns that moms often go through during pregnancy and post-pregnancy, um, you know, often there's anxiety disorders that can erupt during pregnancy, even while somebody is pregnant. Um, and then, of course, the postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety disorders. Um, these situations are only worsened if you don't get enough DHA. And while the science is relatively new as to whether they're preventable with enough omega-3, I see so much of that research on the periphery to indicate towards that direction that I would just say it's it's an imperative. Um, and understand too, that when you're consuming fat-soluble nutrients and fats, there's a lag time to when they can take effect, especially if you're not observing them um, as readily, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so when somebody finds out they're pregnant, they often aren't supplementing, right? They haven't started that journey yet. Um, their, their baby is borrowing their nutrition from a few months before, essentially. And so you, you then need to start laying the foundation, take in some DHA, and ultimately ensure that you're keeping that stable throughout pregnancy and post-pregnancy, especially while nursing. Because then again, you're delivering your fat stores and your DHA through your breast milk to the baby. And you want that building block to be there so that they can have their best health. Hmm. Wow. So interesting and so important. Um, yeah. I mean, if you have the misfortune of, of drawing the the queen of spades there with the the apoe4 you know double allele um it sounds like i have like one representation i was afraid I but okay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> my grandmother be... suffered from alzheimer's and okay. it was brutal and she also had um parkinson's late in life i was diagnosed yeah. as having parkinson's and so when I got my 23andMe results, I wasn't looking to see if I had APOE4. In fact, I didn't know that it was going to be part of the results that it came up. <laughs> well, you seem to be managing just fine. Um, but, I, you know, and, you know, there's so much clinical research happening now. So I think this is part of the exciting, um, you know, cusp that, that, we're, that we're both um, on. But, but I read that that DHA can actually have as much or more impact on mental disorders like depression as taking an SSRI. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I was like that without obviously all of the side effects and, and, and other issues of becoming dependent on a pharmaceutical. So, um, you know, it is, it's, and it's, it's not amazing. like we have an SSRI deficiency, right? We have a deficiency of DHA and right. that can help solve some of these problems. That's you know, right. I, I have so much admiration for the doctors that do the hard work of diagnosing individuals and of helping them along their way. But there are a few out there and Dr. Mark Hyman is among them 
who really help people get on the right path with their health journey and get off of some of these pharmaceuticals, addressing their diet and their activity levels to get in the right direction. Another that I really respect is Dr. Joel Furman, who's operating mm -hmm. out of San Diego area. And I recently featured him on the Nutrition Without Compromise podcast. I, I'm so impressed with what he's doing. And he has a protocol where he's essentially working to bring people off of, you know, five, 10 medications over the course of a few months while having them essentially live with him on a comp compound to, to get through the hurdles and teach them to cook right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm aware of Dr. Furman's work and yeah, it's just remarkable. And, you know, so many of these chronic diseases are also progressive in nature. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we think about them presenting when, you know, they're 60 or 70, like my grandfather also had Parkinson's and, you know, really started to acutely present in his early 80s. But, but you know, people in their 20s and 30s need to pay attention too yes. because this is when the foundation or the substrate for some of these chronic diseases is laid. And so it is never, never too early to start thinking about your health and thinking about like, Hey, am I getting too many omega sixes? Am I getting enough omega threes? Should I be supplementing? Yes. Um, and you know, when I look at the data, it's like, there's every reason, um, really that we should be supplementing, um, with a DHA, um, you know, or in some cases, you know, being, you know, very, very rigorous with our, our diet and food consumption. Um, but, um, but I, I, you know, it's just, there's so many, you know, connected issues here. I mean, it's like I started reading about like fertility rates and, and, you know, sperm motility and whatnot. And I know that the DHA is, is connected with that too. Is that right? Yeah, that's true. So DHA is an omega-3 and the omega-3 fat that is present in spermatozoa is DHA, right? Mm. And so they think if <laughs> yeah. you don't get enough DHA, that your sperm is going to have less motility, less ability to get where it needs to go. Um, same thing applies in women when we have a lower consumption of omega-3s, specifically DHA, it seems that our ability to conceive drops. And so what we're experiencing now in a way that we haven't in prior generations is a kind of plummeting of overall fertility rates that partly I think is connected to women choosing to have births later in life. However, you know, this is across the globe and what we're seeing in, you know, spots that m might not have that standard American diet already too. So there's something going on environmentally there's something going on with the nutrition that we're bringing in and ultimately our, our daily habits will contribute to being able to conceive. I mean, I had my kids late in life. I was 38 for the first and 41 for the second. I had no trouble conceiving. I, at the same time, have complete understanding for how difficult that is. I even chose in my 20s to donate my eggs to a couple who could not have children because I wasn't sure I ever wanted to. And for some reason, it felt like putting my DNA out there was somehow comforting. <laughs> I, I don't know exactly why, but it just it felt that way. Like, okay, I'm, I'm going to have procreated even if I didn't do it with my own loins, so to speak. Yeah. 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 So we touched on a, a few exogenous sources of omega-3s and, and DHA, we, you know, 
obviously the, through the conversion of ALA through plant sources, um, et cetera, through smash fish, um, and through the rarity of, uh, of bison hunting. <laughs> and, um, um, but let's talk about algae, mm-hmm. um, because as you mentioned, and it's sort of obvious, but it wasn't obvious to me until, you know, the light went up, which was where do fish get their omega-3s? And you've put your thumb on the answer. So I've been through this for years now. Um, You know, I spent the first real 10 years of my life in this industry, working in the natural channel with supplements companies, formulating products, working in fish oil. And for the entirety of that time, we never asked the question about where the fish got their omega-3s. Mm-hmm. I assumed, like humans, that they just had this ability to convert the fats that they mm-hmm. consumed into EPA and DHA. I right. thought, they eat the algae. They eat the algae, and then from there, they're going to make EPA and DHA. I didn't realize that they were getting the EPA and DHA from the fish that they were consuming. Or from the algae. I also will say that from a high level perspective, what we're seeing with the changing temperature of our oceans is that the levels of EPA and DHA in fish are actually changing. In fact, Mm. the level of DHA is going down and EPA is going up. Now, these are two different fats that are present in algae species. And it's simply because the conditions of our oceans are changing. And so the algae species that thrive are changing. That's part of the reason that we have these out of control algae blooms that occur as well. And with every degree that our oceans come up or even a fraction of a degree, what will succeed in the ocean changes too. And so you'll see that there are changes in even the representation of EPA and DHA levels in supplements offered on the market with time. If you Mm. look from 10 years ago to today, it's dramatically different. Mm. So I kind of became that full convert going from fish oil to algae oil back in 2016. It took me some time to get there. I mean, I've worked in this industry since 2000, like 99, really. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, understanding that technology has come far enough now for us to be able to get not only the DHA, which is so health promoting, but also EPA. What fish oil had going for it for a long time was that, you know, it was really the only source for a strong amount of EPA. EPA, um, which is the other primary omega-3 fatty acid, is responsible for a lot of the inflammation um, capabilities of the omega-3s. Um, in fact, you mentioned brain disorders and things along those lines. There's some research indicating that a high consumption of EPA can actually reduce inflammation in the brain. And it, it's a, the inflamed brain that is creating some of the issues that we see from mood disorders to depression to mental clarity, mental fog, and things along those lines. So there's no question that EPA and DHA work together. They're found in the fish together. They're found in some species of algae together. Some species of algae only grow one or only the other. So Hmm. long story short, we have the technology now to go directly to the algae. That means that you don't have to worry about toxin buildup. You don't have to worry about plastics. We can grow algae in a controlled environment. We can also extract the algae in such a lightly processed way so as to preserve its polar lipid forms. Hmm. And the polar lipid form is the most bioavailable 
way to consume these omega-3s. And so, as I mentioned earlier, I have one representation of APOE4. Um, digging into the research, I learned that individuals who have uh, even just one representation, which is 15% of the population, they have a reduced ability to uptake these important omega-3s into their systems. Mm -hmm. And so delivering that fat in its polar lipid form would seem serendipitous. <laughs> I may have gone from taking a high potency, high dose of fish oil in the past to now only having to take a couple pills, about a gram combined of, of omega-3 um, and just really getting the full benefit of these fats. The added benefit from a consumer standpoint is that you don't burp up fish. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking from somebody who is in the fish industry for a long time, I mean, even as nice and clean and pure and purified and not smelly and even tasty as it can be, you'll still get this, what is called an aldehyde byproduct, like gaseous kind of right. uptake. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that that's removed right. with the algae, specifically the polar lipid form, because it just gets right into your system. Yeah. That's what specifically makes it a hard sell for my teenage daughters they don't yeah. like that uh that aldehyde r response so um <laughs> and I, I don't think anyone really does when you're growing algae i mean it's a photosynthetic process right so it's sequestering carbon is that it's right? sequestering carbon. So yeah. this is different than a lot of algae producers out there. You know, you mentioned that DHA is kind of your entry to the omega-3 space because, you know, when your wife is pregnant, she's like, oh, I've got to get DHA for my baby. Right. Well, most of the DHA supplements out there are either from fish or they're from an algae that's grown via fermentation. And so an algae that's grown via fermentation is grown in, you know, steel vats and what could look like a laboratory. You feed it sugars. So you're feeding it plant sugars and then it's grown via fermentation. Um, but the algae that we're growing with Orlo Nutrition is actually grown photosynthetically in a controlled space. And this means that we're, we can control the inputs. We can ensure that it only gets the nutrients it needs, the light it needs, no infiltration of other algae strains, no infiltration of any pollutants that we wouldn't want to see there. And it means that we can really minimally process the oil. Now, that's not to villainize any DHA that's grown with yesterday's sunlight using sugars. I mean, it's a fantastic source and it ultimately provides you the core nutrition you need. Um, also, isn't impacting negatively marine ecosystems. So anything that can do that, in my mind, is, is great. Uh, we need to be concerned with the health and tonnage of our fish in the ocean. They help to sequester carbon too, as does the motion of the waves. Um, so we need to do what we can to preserve their their lives as well. So um, we're ultimately able to use light and use light that is regenerative because we're only use, using only um, you know geothermal uh, electricity at this point at our plant in Iceland. So it's completely regenerative, we're sequestering carbon, we're producing human nutrition with 1%, literally 99% less land and water resources than soy or cattle or any other nutrition source. Hmm. So it's um, the ultimate move in sustainable nutrition. Yeah. And I think this is really where the intersection of innovation and technology, um, you know, with nature's brilliance, um, 
you know, is really paying a lot of dividends because, you know, I think, you know, a lot of people are very skeptical about technological solutions to modern problems. It's like, this With is reason. what got us here in the, in the first place. I mean, think about that trans fat story. It's terrible. It's right. Exactly. But, um, you know, I, I would be fascinated to, to visit this, um, I think you call it the aquaculture plant house in, yeah. um, in Iceland, uh, because it looks just like incredible. Um, and like you said, it's, it's, well, you're creating a project, a product that's vegan, that's organic, it's regenerative in nature. It protects marine systems. It sequesters carbon. Um, and, and I believe it's carbon neutral, if not carbon negative. So, I mean, <laughs> it's just incredible. Um, and then, you know, I know that you have a deep, um, passion, you know, for nutrition, but also for, uh, promoting, um, sustainable business, um, yeah. and su sustainable business practices, I, I should say too. So can you talk a little bit about all of the different initiatives that you have ushered into Orlo? Um, obviously part of it we've, we've talked about in terms of actually creating the product, but in terms of also, you know, marketing and packaging and you know, right. all of the other initiatives that, that you've focused on. Well, it's so easy to come in and point fingers at how other companies have done things when they've, you know, built successful brands. But I can point to um, an example that doesn't come from the world of fish oil because I think people will relate to it. The reality is um, you have big brands like, let's say, Adidas, right? Make a sneaker. They make a lot of them. They have a huge clothing line and everything else. And, you know, pivoting that large company to make some changes and do something more sustainably is really hard. What did they do? They came out with a shoe that was a co-collaboration with Allbirds, which was marked for its carbon levels and, and was their most sustainable shoe ever offered, right? The same is true of companies in the nutrition space. It's challenging to move a big ship, but given that we were able to architect this from the beginning and I came in um, before the brand was even created, um, I was able to say, okay, well, how could we do this differently? Because ultimately we know we're going to make a direct consumer play to start. Long-term, we may end up on retail shelves. So we want to bring this to consumers in the most kind to the environment way. So we preserve the overall message of what we're doing. I knew, for instance, that we could use an algae-based ink, which has also been used by Adidas and Patagonia and some other companies now in their apparel, um, to print on the cardboard boxes that we would create. So we'd be using an ink that wasn't a petrochemical because carbon black is a petrochemical. It comes from oil, right? We'd be using something that came from algae and specifically waste stream from nutrition and even long-term from our own waste stream from human nutrition. Right. So we, that's how we got our start. And I would ultimately said, okay, so we know it only comes in black. What if we were to do a monochromatic brand? So we went um, to a black glass jar that's made by Miron Violet Glass, which is a company out of Italy. You've got it right there. It's, yeah, beautiful. it's beautiful. So um, tasteful. Beautiful. Very thick glass. And what's beautiful about that Miron Violet Glass is that it doesn't really let visible light through. Mm. So it preserves the product on your bathroom counter or in your kitchen or wherever you choose to place it really well. So the concept is we ship you your starter kit, which includes either a one-month supply or a two-month supply, and then you refill it with our 
recycled pouches. And so these are post-consumer plastic recycled pouches that retain the recyclability. And ultimately, it also preserves the product perfectly because it's a mirrored surface. It's virtually lets it lets no light in. And so um, you are protected. We're, we're essentially, uh, we know that our customers who've joined us early in the journey have been taking the product for eight months or more at this point, and they are continuing to use the same glass bottle. I haven't had literally anyone come back and say, mine broke, please replace it. I had one cap that I had to replace. The cap cracked, which mm. is made of plastic and not glass. It's the only plastic really that we have in the product. Mm -hmm. So as it stands, um, really top to bottom, did things more sustainably. I chose to work with a female-owned design brand out of San Francisco. So it's all female design firm. Um, the, uh, fulfillment house that we're working with is centrally based in the country in Texas. It's female owned and operated and also happens to be central to the country, be able to deliver via ground in mm. roughly three days to the contiguous United States so that I'm not working with multiple distribution sites and I'm not working with packaging that is wasteful. Everything's 100% post-consumer recycled paper and post-consumer recycled plastic, as well as using glass, which offers incredible stability. Yeah. Amazing. I think even your merchandise swag is <laughs> using the algae inks in the in 100% organic cotton and yeah and, that was cut and, stitched and finished in California in, in so California. like <laughs> all of that you know yeah. making sure that again we have fair business practices at play um, the packaging itself is made by a company out of Colorado called Eco Enclose um, mm. they are eco-friendly packaging exclusively. So even the padded envelope that we use is 100% post-consumer recycled paper. So these are the things that I think are critical for a brand when they're really working to integrate their messaging and walk the walk and not just be another company that's greenwashing or purpose washing. Our purpose is clear. We're working to change how people consume. We're working to ensure that we can create sustainable solutions that can feed the planet for generations to come with only 1% land and water resources so that we can create more nutrition solutions that will stand the test of time. Hmm. Karina, so good. You've paid so much attention to detail. It's really remarkable. Um, Thank you. And so I, I think we've extolled the virtues of omega-3s um, and unless you're in the great uh, minority, you're probably not getting enough. So, you're probably um, not. and so I, I think it's something that everyone needs to um, pay close attention to, just given that omega threes are in all 37 trillion cells in our body, right? So, um, this is not some kind of, uh, you know, side dish. Um, right. This is central to cardiovascular health, to brain health to cell membrane, pliancy, um, really every primary uh, system and function in your body. Um, so, so that is the world of omega-3s. I, I do have kind of a question for you just sort of about the future mm. um, and where you might be thinking about going with Orlo around, let's say, spirulina or mm -hmm. other plant-based sources of protein, for example. Right. Um, can you give us any little, uh, you know, crack in the door in terms of, 
you know, where you might be headed. Yeah. You know, um, we just, we had a study published about what we're doing, um, in Iceland at our production facility, um, in biotechnology today, I can forward that link for your audience Mm. to include in show notes as well, but they did a study basically showing how, um, we had achieved carbon neutrality at our plant, but also made comment in that paper about the spirulina that we're growing and how it has the potential to replace our protein inputs from something like beef. Not to say that we would produce a steak, but to say that the same protein structure can exist from spirulina, can be tasteless, can be something that would be integrated into protein bars and powders and things like this to come. So we are working presently on this project. I mean, this is kind of on the cutting edge, so to speak. Can we isolate this in a way that makes sense and flavor something appropriately that people want to consume? Um, At the same time, that spirulina is already showcased in our Immunity Boost product. And what's really interesting about the spirulina that we're growing at that aquaculture plant house, which is different than spirulina grown in open ponds, is that this spirulina actually produces vitamin B12 in its most bioavailable methylcobalamin form. And so spirulina in open ponds doesn't do that. Mm. Why? We really don't know the answer. We know that it's the same strain of spirulina. There's no real difference, but perhaps by giving it just the bands of light it needs and just the right nutrients and ultimately providing all of the conditions it needs to thrive, that it's able to produce a nutrient in its most bioavailable form for humans. And so this is a nutrient that's very challenging for vegans to get enough of um, Mm -hmm. from a non-synthetic source, right? Right. And so we're excited about that. Um, This is something that we're leaning into. The Immunity Boost product also augments a few other B vitamins to give it a balance, as well as vitamin D3 and its most bioavailable form um, in an aqueous solution so people can literally spray it in their mouth, get their immunity a little boost, and protect their body from inflammatory assault that comes with, um, let's say, a lot of viral loads and, and strains in that way. So I'm really encouraged by that product. I think you'll see more coming from Orlo, specifically in more uh, traditional foods. I I think we're going to be leaning in that direction. We already are producing colorants from our spirulina because it's this bright, bright blue. And so we're looking to potentially create blue ice cream or blue pizza and actually bring (laughs) along with it some of the benefits of the spirulina that are unique to what we're doing. So Mm. I think um, in some ways the sky's the limit. And as we talked about as kind of a running theme through this, we are working to create solutions that are the most bioavailable because you are what you absorb. The omega-3s we produce are already three times more absorbable than the omega-3s from fish oil. So you can expect to see that and, and more along the lines of what we're doing spirulina, including vitamin B12 that's naturally inborn. Yeah, amazing. Well, you're doing such a fantastic job and, you know, uh, we have so many challenges as a, as a global society. I mean, we're, we're, we're going to have to find sources of healthy fat and sources of healthy protein for 10 billion people, you know, by the year 2050. So how are we going to do that, uh, without, you know, going off the environmental cliff? Um, you know, this is a, this is a massive challenge and, uh, um, it's really going to take, 
um, you know, people like you with a vision, um, leveraging technology and innovation, but also with a real thorough understanding of, um, of physiology. And, uh, and that's very rare. Um, so I just think you're doing an absolutely fantastic job and it's just such a joy to, to spend some time with you. Oh, thank you so much. This has been my absolute honor. Yeah. Well, to be continued, uh, I think we probably hovered around, uh, over four or five other topics that we could probably <laughs> have some interesting conversations about, yeah. but for today, you know, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a new convert to the, to the Orlo, um, Omega three product. And, uh, and I can't wait to get into some of your, your new innovations. So thanks so much, Karina. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Karina Belize. Be sure to check out her vegan algae-based omega-3 supplements at orlonutrition.com, where you can use the code COMMUNE10 to receive an additional 10% discount. And if you enjoy this show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. If you're a regular listener, you have a sense for how much effort we put into this show's creation week over week, and we do our best to keep advertising to a minimum. So if you're looking for a way to support our efforts, the best way is to subscribe to Commune. You'll access more than 100 courses featuring the world's top authors and thought leaders. You can check it out for free for 14 days at onecommune.com trial. Of course, feel free to reach out to me directly anytime with suggestions or criticism, preferably of the constructive variety, at jeffk at onecommune.com. And lastly, but not leastly, I would love to thank the folks that make this show possible week over week, including Jake Laub, Megan Stone, Violet Augustine, Silvana Alcala, Wellington Gonzalez, and Ryan Tillotson. Okay, that's all from the commune for today. My name is Jeff Krasnow, and I'm here for you. <laughs>